Hello, and welcome to Jam Presents, a podcast series by me, Mike Groves, and a good mate of mine, Jason Cripps. In this second series of Jam Presents, we play The Murder Game, a 2003 murder mystery reality TV show from the BBC. This accompanying podcast will break down each episode of The Murder Game as Jason and I follow the journey of 10 investigators as they try to catch a killer in the fictional town of Blackwater. Each episode of The Murder Game is available on YouTube, so if you haven't already, go and watch episode 4 now. In this episode, we visit Dean in hospital, meet creepy George Howick, and take to the skies with Richard and Merrill. Murder Game episode 4. Did this one feel a little bit better? Yes. Yeah, I think it did. Certainly fewer things pissed me off. Perhaps Chief Bob might have had a little less airtime than usual. Mm -hmm. It does annoy me that there's definitely a man-woman divide, and that there's definitely battle of the sexes going on. And at the end result of this episode certainly wasn't how I wanted it to pan out. But I do think there's a glimmer of hope from re-watching. And that I've just started editing the first few episodes and we do give the show a hard time. Rightfully so. There are a lot of changes that they made to it from when it was Murder in Small Tannics in the US. But I think slowly I'm coming around to actually enjoy it for what it is. Bit of a recap then. Last week, the group went out on a stakeout and happened to jump out on Dean instead of hiding from him. They recovered what they thought was the murder weapon from the sluice pond and eliminated Frank as a suspect. He's just some dodgy Essex boy, according to Mervyn. Andrew returned from playing the killer's game and it's pointed out early on that there are only three women remaining as Sarita was sent to her death. There is clearly already a divide between the men and the women. At the start of this episode, we were reminded that Catherine weirdly broke into Jay's houseboat, but we are made aware that Catherine's phone was analysed and creepy George Howick rang her the day she was murdered. Chief Bob enters the room. Initially, he's not too bad. Before Andrew and Sarita went out to play the killer's game, they both recorded a last will and testament in which they said who they thought should be the next lead investigator. He reminds us that Sarita chooses the next lead investigator in her last will and testament and uses those words, which was really interesting. So we always call it a last will and testament. But earlier on in the series, it was always just her last words. Yeah. So last will and testament it does give, you know, real callback to Murder in Small Tannics, which I really liked. Sarita chooses Mervyn to be the next lead investigator. We find out that the killer clue that Andrew brought back was a pillbox, which Richard confidently guesses. Then Merrill jumps in to suggest it's an antique. Frustratingly, Bob asks some stupid questions. Who do you think this might belong to? And I guess he could be getting them to try to think along the lines of Jennifer, who's an antiques dealer, who Merrill obviously suggests when she says that Jennifer's into antiques. But then Richard jumps in and says, it could be the killers or Catherine's, even though Merrill's just got the answer right by saying yeah. well, it could I, be. I also felt like, again, it's, it's so feels like he's sort of forcing them down a, a way of thinking too much mm. and asking questions for answers that he already knows rather than collectively coming up with answers. Definitely. It feels like he, he's like, I know the answer and I'm trying to get the answer out of you to send you on your way before you go off on a wild goose chase. Absolutely right. We're told that Trevor Dobie, the builder who we met in the last episode, is the biological father of Catherine's daughter, Anya. He also owns the caravan site that Catherine lived at. He's a suspect. This forms the first line of inquiry. So team one need to go and question him at Jennifer's antique shop. At the same time, they can question her about the pillbox. Mervyn chooses Richard and Merrill to take on this line of inquiry. The next line of inquiry is around Catherine breaking into Jay's houseboat. They suggest she's not afraid of Jay, so if she was scared for her life, 
and she wouldn't have gone there. But that doesn't really mean that he's not the killer, does it? You know, yeah. they, they do hone in on the fact that, oh, well, she clearly wasn't scared of Jay. Well, she might not have been the per- killed by a person she was scared of. The fact that her father and sister are suspects, she could have been killed by anyone. Yeah. So that doesn't write him off at all. Exactly. If you're going to use that that reasoning, you could write off half that. <laughs> yeah. Nick, Rory and Andrea chosen for that track by Mervyn. The third line of inquiry is around Catherine's phone records. There were multiple calls made from the same number to Catherine, including the day of her murder. The only number the investigators don't have is for George Howick or Howick or Haywick because everybody pronounces it a different way. <laughs> they assume that it's his number and it would have been good here if they rang it to see who the number belonged to. Rather than just assume, oh, it must be there for George, they could have rang it to make George a suspect yeah. or whatever. I just think that they could have built that into the storyline a bit better than just saying, oh, well, clearly it's George's then. Yeah, we, we should have seen something more behind that decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Mervyn gives this track to Sam and Mel. So track one, Meryl and Richard start at Jennifer's shop. Fair play, they manage to split the suspects up and interview Trevor first. They lead him down the garden path a bit before landing upon him that he's the father of Anya. Richard Sharrix is so nervous when he talks to the actors, it really makes me laugh. Do you know who, who Anya's father is? No. You don't. Um, um, did you just go back to your relationship with yeah. Catherine? Were you ever partners to, um, at any stage? Trevor acts surprised, but also seems kind of happy, or happy enough, I should say, with the news that he's the the girl's biological father. They all confirm that it's confidential and that they won't mention it to anyone and certainly don't mention it to Jennifer when she returns. When Jennifer does return, they show her the pillbox. The hidden test is to not give her the evidence. Success, they manage to keep hold of it, but she does confirm the pillbox is hers. Now, in a lot of the other episodes, we'd start ranting and raving, saying the way in which they filmed this, the way they did it, that is nonsense. But look, the fact that the voiceover says, oh, it's a hidden test let's not go there today all right we've we've done that enough (laughs) yeah we know our thoughts on that already however they did well didn't they they did do well definitely track two nick rory and andrew start by speaking with jay wilmington we see him having a quiet conversation with goldie before investigators arrive we are told that they face a hidden test they shouldn't interview suspects together anyway they totally screw it up and reveal to goldie that Catherine broke into the boat really probing him about her staying over on the boat before and goldie's fuming well, why would she stay on the boat then um why would she break into the boat um i don't i don't know i'm gonna have to go i'm really sorry but i am gonna have to go I just really like this because it's some proper drama where she begins to find out that Jay's been having Catherine over to the boat and stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, her face is brilliant as well. Yeah. Next we see Andrew trying to find her outside even though she went off in a car. Did you see someone run run along here with blonde hair? Who is it? it? Well, she's just a lady with blonde hair. And the members of the public just look bemused. But this is it. Surely, Surely he saw that. I thought I didn't understand. <laughs> You'd have thought so. If he followed her out the building that quickly, he'd have yeah. seen a car speeding off. And also the, the cameraman's pointing that way. <laughs> but yeah, then he, then he asked a member of the public and they don't have a clue, do they? Not they don't a have a clue. And he, but he's like pretending like they're part of it and he's been really secretive with them as well. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say about that at all, but it is funny. <laughs> it, is a, it is a highlight of that episode. Well, Dean, where are you? I haven't been able to get hold of you from anywhere. 
Jay gets a phone call from Dean Garrity while they're there and tells him that he's taken an overdose. The voiceover really ruins the scene, but what can we do? Anyway, it triggers the investigators and Jay to head to the mill to find him. He legs it when they all get there and ends up falling onto some VHS cassettes. He says to Jay, I thought I could trust you. What are you doing, Mike? I've come to help you. Presumably this could be linked to his potential hookup with Catherine, Mm -hmm. despite Dean and her being romantically linked. Dean gets carted off in an ambulance. Nick, Rory and Andrew set up a crime scene and interrogate the stockman. Nick says, I just want to confirm what he landed on. Oh, fucking hell, mate. It's a pile of VHS cassettes. Even even the storeman or the stockman just looks and says, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I'm just trying to confirm what, what the guy's landed on. It's well, it's pretty obvious. Is it, all, no, but is it, is it uh-huh. videos all through? Yeah, all through. Okay. It's funny because obviously they they wanted to do this uh, this fall. What could, but what could he fall on <laughs> that has some value? Yeah, has they've enough, obviously uh... they've, they've bulked out in the middle with some foam. Yeah, so the yeah. fact that Nick is then trying to say, "Oh, what did he actually land on?" Well, no, the idea, mate, is that it's all VHS cassettes. Like yeah. Andrew craftily steals one of the cassettes. I really want that to come back and bite him in the ass because he's meant to be the police, isn't he? It wasn't said again, was it? No, and. Look, hopefully it comes up in another episode because he, he just slides it into his coat. If that was picked up by Chief Bob, sure he'd get a bollock in for that. Imagine they, they, they come back and say, like, Andrew's like, oh, I, I stole a VHS. And they, they put it on, it's just it's just Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, they, it didn't seem... Like, that's why I didn't get it. They made a point of filming and doing it, so it must come back and bite him in the ass because otherwise, why would you film it? But also, to me, there was nothing shifty about the fact that there were a shitload of DHSs there. He just had what to land on something. What do you mean? What do you mean there isn't something shifty? Who's, who's storing that many VHSs to to break a man's fall from from a height? And this is two. This is two thousand and three. This could be the oh, born identity some, or something. Is that, some, is that someone's VHS collection? <laughs> at this point it's just far too big we have to put it under some tarp in a, in a warehouse like the front of a charity shop where they've just been <laughs> left them because people have moved on yeah they have a, head over to the hospital jay is there he suggests it's all vanessa's fault that dean has acted in this way they ring mervyn back at hq and sharik said but they didn't stop him and say what do you mean by that why is richard sharik's getting so involved and in saying to mervyn did they not ask him what he meant by that well you've been in the situation and not asked and done every detail mate so don't criticize you know being distanced from it also it's mervyn's job not yours you can see i'm building up a bit of a resentment for richard sharik's Next, we see the most bizarre series of events. They're all waiting around in the hospital waiting room and treat everyone there as a suspect. And they even follow a man with an eye patch into a toilet. Brilliant. What's going on? And he's like, he's like waiting outside. That's the best bit. Andrew's waiting outside for him to come out. Eventually, they get tired and Andrew begins to fall asleep. This does have echoes of Murder in Small Town X in the stakeouts. And I really like it that they put investigators through that, that they actually get them just to sit around. And it's six <laughs> hours. Six hours they spend there before they get a chance to speak to Dean. Dean's absolutely knackered. He tells them that Vanessa's pregnant, but doesn't know if he's the father. Before he can answer any of the other questions, he begins to have a seizure. They call HQ and tell Mervyn that Vanessa is pregnant. He shares this information. This is bizarre. So Mervyn gets the news and he's on the phone saying, oh, so Vanessa is pregnant. Oh my gosh. And then Meryl's like in the room and he goes, oh, turns out. And before he can say anything, Meryl goes, Right, you ought to come and tell the rest of the group. Don't relay the information from me. Come and tell the rest of the group. So then Mervyn goes into the room to tell the group and says, oh, things that Dean's saying might not be true because he's on all these drugs because of the fall and all this, that and the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He negates to tell them or he doesn't tell them that Vanessa's pregnant, the key detail. (laughs) And Meryl's like, 
hang on a minute, isn't there something more important about Vanessa being pregnant? He goes, oh yeah, and Vanessa's pregnant. I don't think Mervyn's that switched on, to be honest. I don't no. think he's a very good investigator. No, nor, nor do I. But he has said... Um, but he has said he has a brief conversation, which I haven't got the details of. I just got those brief bullet points from the not. You said Vanessa was pregnant. Oh, sorry. Vanessa's pregnant. That's what he said. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Track three. Sam and Mel are at HQ for a while before heading out and sit around at HQ discussing their chances. Mel is convinced that Mervyn will be picking her later on. She thinks that the men are ganging up on the women. And I, yeah, I honestly think she, she does have a really good point. There's a lot of friction at this point between Mel and Sam where Sam's quite vocal and helps Mervyn out with the typing. Mel's looking on and is a bit pissed off by all accounts. Mervyn says, Thank you, gorgeous. As Sam helps him. And that's a sign of the times as well. And It just feels so strange to see that on TV without it coming from like a lechy old man, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. without it being um, made a point of or, yeah, or challenged, I think. It does just strike me as being quite old-fashioned. In a cutaway, Mervyn says he'll be making his decision later on as lead investigator based on fact, and that will determine who plays the killer's game and it won't be based on personality. Eventually, Sam and Mel are on their way to George's island. Presumably, they had to wait around because the tide being in and the island being inaccessible or something like that. Mm. When they arrive, George is working on his boat on his drive. We find out that he's a music teacher and used to teach Catherine piano. Mel and Sam are required to find out if George has an alibi for the day of Catherine's murder. George is a bit standoffish and plays a really good recluse. I thought his acting was on point. I thought he did Mm -hmm. really well to portray the the character that he was portraying. They ask him about the phone call and get it wrong. George is quick to remind them that he actually rang in the afternoon and not the morning. Could you explain that phone call for me? I don't think on the morning. I think you'll find... Oh, on the afternoon, afternoon. sorry, yes. Catherine left at 10am because she didn't want to risk the tide coming in and blocking her trip back. Although you'd have thought George could have taken her in his boat, but that will come into it later. And I've got just some thoughts around George's boat in that the fact that he was working on his in, in his drive and he couldn't have offered Catherine a lift back a bit later on, as in he was like, you've got to get out of here before the tide comes in. Yeah. Perhaps his boat isn't actually seaworthy. Yeah. And he's still working on it, and that's it. That eventually that's becomes his alibi. His alibi because he couldn't. There was no way he could have been there. Because there's a lot stacked up against it being in, in the water. Because otherwise, he could have offered Catherine a lift or or what have you. Yeah. The reason George rang was because Catherine told him that she'd ring just before the wedding after practicing at church, but she never rang. True with that, and she never. She'd never phoned. He was a tad creepy when saying that if the tide does come in, he quite likes being cut off with Catherine. Although they do treat it as though him being creepy, it might just be that he's a recluse and just wants yeah. a bit of company. It might just be a friendly thing. He makes a passing comment about having a bad knee. Whether or not this has anything to do with it, I don't know. The question is, and I might be wrong, but we saw that getaway car where they threw the video camera off the bridge, yeah. driving hell for leather through that village. I personally don't see George behaving in that way. Uh, so I've almost written him off as a suspect in my own mind. Could be completely wrong. Due, due to his personality and the way, the way you think he would drive. Yeah, yeah. I just don't yeah. see him being like that. Creepiness aside I really like George as a character and I think the actor does a really good job Mel has quote of the episode and this goes back to you saying about them them mentioning that he's a bit creepy and that when they get back to the Land Rover he he's fucked Catherine I'm sorry but he has had sex with Catherine that, that was a dirty old man with a sexual advance. Is that Mel? She comes out of that straight away. Brilliant, isn't it? If that's the case, then aren't we learning a lot about Catherine in this episode? So we've got Dean, we've got Jay, potentially. We've got Trevor being the father of the baby. And now we've got George. So <laughs> Catherine's getting around a little bit, blimey. Yeah. It's a small, it's a small town. Fair play to her.
At the end of the first day of investigations, they're all back at HQ and they share a laugh at the photo of Andrew asleep at the hospital with Beware Watchman written on it. Question to you, did the murder game invent memes? I think you've got a solid argument. <laughs> they come together through a conference that night and discuss evidence. They mention that Goldie has motive because she's suspicious of Jay having an affair. She might not have been suspicious if investigators hadn't told her. Yeah. <laughs> she only started yeah, acting well, sus when they dropped when, it when on they, her. When they dropped it on her, that, yeah, exactly. It was almost as though she didn't know until that point. Vanessa has a motive because she may have known about Dean and Catherine's relationship. Nick says, I can't quite think which character. And that, once again, it ruined it for me. They're not characters, they're people. Yeah. You're meant to be in in this in this in this world, world. rather than yeah 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 you live in this definitely yeah anyway he goes on to suggest that money could be involved but he isn't sure why and Andrew says I don't have a view at this time and he says others might be holding back information to try and win the game or have a game plan but he certainly doesn't and he's not holding anything back because he doesn't actually have any information to hold back it's so interesting though that they're all privy to the same inves- information they'll go to the same meetings and read the same clues and yet they've all got quite different different diverse yeah yeah mm, which there's is no really Sort of hive mind is there really no but it does make it better I think like that yeah, yeah we see the women on the landing and the men chatting in the smoking area outside there is some real tension between them all now overnight something happens HQ computers get hacked and the killer leaves a warning message. Mate, I love this. I love it. And it takes them so long to wake up and realise what's going it's on. It's brilliant, isn't it? And it's oh. so That is a good sign of the times, isn't it? It really is. You've and been one, hacked. And one of them says, basically, he's been in the house. Basically, he's been in the house. That's not how it works. No, oh, no, God. He might no. not have been in the house. He so might not only, be a he, for God's sake. Yeah, the only way to hack a computer... Yeah, you have to be on to it. Be, you have to be on it. <laughs> we also see them crowded round the computer, and surprise, surprise, Richard is front and centre, and all the men are pushed to the front. Chief Bob runs the morning meeting. We look back on the previous day. We don't actually learn anything at this point, other than them pointing out George could have gotten off the island on his boat, even when the tide is in. But like you say, that's that's, that's ridiculous, because like you, say, I, you hope it comes back, because that boat needs to be seen in the water. <laughs> Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, they just got Sally's boat. It is. It is. They're like really skimping out on the budget, being like, just get a boat, which we'll, we'll show it on land, and we'll just apply, like, assume. He can just put a sponge over it to show that he's maintaining it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it is seaworthy. Do you mean? Yeah. No, we want to see it floating. <laughs> Join us next time for whatever floats your boat on uh, the murder <laughs> what, game. What other stuff can we find that needs to be floating for us to believe it exists? Marilyn Richard now need to go on a helicopter ride to follow Catherine's journey back from the island. Rory, Andrew and Nick have to meet Vanessa and ask about Dean's breakdown. Sam and Mel have the hardest task. They need to organise a press conference. Don't laugh. <laughs> we'll get oh to it. Oh my God. <laughs> we'll get to it. So track one, Richard and Merrill undertake the aerial recce in the helicopter. They learn that she could have never made the trip in 30 minutes just by walking. Even if she had a lift, though, we saw video footage of her and Dean at the church before she was killed. Mm -hmm. So this part of the journey seems quite insignificant to me, although it could have just been a massive flex to say, look, we use a helicopter. It is. Oh, we got a bit of budget. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they do actually find a coat in a tree. What? Oh, the, what the red a... coat. A yeah. red coat to stuck up a tree. It's just so weird. Eagle eyes on Merrill, though. Fair play to her for spotting that. Mm-hmm. Something on that tree there. What's the tree? Oh, what tree? What's the tree? What's the tree? Good call. Yeah. 
Oh, I see. There's something red on yeah. that tree there. Yeah. There's blood inside the jacket and there's a wedding invite to Tina Wells. And she's the person who came out of the church with Catherine at the start. It just makes me wonder because they mentioned that she was wearing a green coat on the morning of. So why is this... Tina's invite in a red coat in a red hanging coat. in the tree? That's going to be really interesting. When we yeah, and obviously it's one of those, isn't it? It's blatantly a bright red coat on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it was It was you never going to be not... a camo jacket, was it? <laughs> no, or, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like subjective. Uh, evidence is it? so kind of like oh this is the brightest red coat we could find yeah <laughs> next week they find a high-vis jacket yeah so track two andrew nick and rory go to question vanessa at the pub she works in she tells the group that she's been seeing dean for a month what does andrew say here mate i'm gonna cut the audio because it's mental had you, had you gone out with him time to time prior to being going out with him in the last month permanently sometimes he doesn't know when to just shut up and just won't wait for an answer even the actress looks and goes well what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> what are what, you on about? Why are you spouting absolute nonsense? Vanessa says that she sent Dean to the chemist to pick up a pregnancy test and told him it was positive. At this point in time, Dean thinks she's pregnant with his baby. This could be Dean's alibi as the chemist receipt puts him there at the time of the murder. So they go and get that. But like, what pharmacist is just going to hand over receipts? I... I... I, I know, I know. Like, Do you know what I mean? all Because they flick through them. It's not no, like... you're forgetting though, they've got these really cool bomber jackets with oh, paper that... ID cards that say that investigator on them. That so, you know. So and... ne- negate everybody else's personal privacy. information and privacy. Yeah. Um, because it's not like the pharmacist flicks through and says, oh, like, I'll find it for you. Yeah. She gives them a, a big award. Oh, pile. Well, there's, there's a Dave of, of number one Cherub Street's erectional dysfunction. <laughs> This is Viagra. No, no, not at all. Find it about the fourth one in. Yeah. And then we find out more about that later at, back at HQ. Track three, before Mel and Sam head to the press conference, Mervyn offers some advice. But think of ways that you can say like no, but in like a polite way, but not giving off anything from it. No, no comment. <laughs> no comment if you want. If you want to keep it simple, no, no comment. comment. Now, forgive me, but I don't remember in episode one where they were taught how to deal with lines of inquiry and stuff, that they were taught how to deal with the press. No, they weren't. It's such bullshit that they're set up to fail here. They cannot, it's impossible, it's an impossible task. Yeah, yeah. I've already mentioned it a lot, but in Murder in Small Town X, it was about praising the investigators for what they had found and empowering them to make decisions during the lines of inquiry. Yeah, which absorbed them in that situation. And that whatever you do, you're doing a good job. Like mm-hmm. they would be rewarded for this by saying, yeah, good, you didn't give the press anything to go off. That's great. Yeah. But instead, and and we'll go into what happens, but they get a bollock in for not saying anything but how are they to know what they can and can't but again we i think we've said it in other episodes they're so scared of getting it wrong yeah yeah that they're not sort of fulfilling the you know what they could say or what they could do because they're just playing it safe and they don't get to show any like we've mentioned character it or get, personality yeah, there's no, or no personality because they're just saying no comment all the time yeah credit to the actors in that the press make mel and sam so uncomfortable as though it's real it's brilliant yeah they yeah. are really really good at doing that acting role so you can't actually like tell us anything really give us some clues as, as to what on earth went today on. we're not here to talk about that we were here to talk about the final steps of catherine but you've got to help us. yeah i am trying to give you as much information so as i this conference, you can't really tell us anything. It's just a real shame that the pass and fail criteria exists. We watch the press conference, which is a car crash, as Sam and Mel are too afraid to answer anything. Goldie and Frank are there too. The press begin to ask Goldie questions about whether or not there were issues between her and her sister, or whether or not this was a case of mistaken identity. In that, do they mean that the killer was supposed to kill Goldie instead? If so, that makes this really exciting. 
And I would honestly love to see more deaths around the town. It definitely added a lot more to the drama and suspense in Murder in Small Town X. And at the moment, we've only got one person that's been killed. It doesn't really feel, it's not making the town feel that uneasy. Mm -hmm. I want to see more. Back at HQ, Mel expresses her concern at Sam being the centre of attention. She thinks that they'll be up for elimination if only Sam and Mel fail their tasks. And it's that talk of failure all the time. I think we've had it in every episode so far where they're all scared to fail. All back at HQ now for the evening briefing, we find out that Vanessa is the one that went to the chemist and not Dean, as it was her signature on the receipt. This does raise a few questions, mainly, is she trying to get Dean an alibi? And if that's the case, what does she know about Dean that she's not letting on? So does she know that Dean hasn't got an alibi for that and that she was trying to create him one? Because it's weird that she said, Dean went and got it for me when it was actually her that went to get it. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that otherwise? The other questions that come out of today are, why was Tina's coat covered in blood and in a tree? She was obviously undoubtedly close to the church when the murder took place and she was the first person to find Catherine bleeding in the church. And that does explain the blood, but why did her coat end up in a tree? How did Catherine get from George's Island to the church in just 30 minutes? She couldn't have walked it. They have their final brief with Chief Bob before they play the killer's game. Condescending Bob gives them shit again and tells them who passed and who failed their lines of inquiry. Yeah, only one team passed, didn't they? Yeah. So it was Meryl and Richard, and that's because Meryl has absolutely smashed it over these last few days. She looks so proud of herself as well. Yeah, and she's credited with being a brilliant investigator. I think it hurts Richard a little bit because he's in the winning team but isn't the best investigator on uh, on the force. They look back at the footage of the day's events, and I hate that. I hate it that they look back when they were in there. Meryl, let's have a look at you with Yeah, with because Jennifer. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't be this, it shouldn't be this yeah, examination style reflection of how they performed. It shouldn't be at all. And the, and the camera's there to make the drama, to add to the drama, to add to the story, not yeah. to, for Bob to... Not to critique over. them later on. Yeah, later on. Nick, Andrew and Rory get a good roasting for not splitting up their suspects on day one. And this is great because they say, Jay may be unlikely to cooperate from now on mm-hmm. through fear of what Goldie will find out from investigators. Chief Bob says... What? What have you got to say? I'm sure my parents used to say that when I messed up as a kid. It's like so condescending. Yeah, because it's like, uh, explain yourself. What have you got to say for yourself? (laughs) Yeah. This team failed their line of inquiry and can all be voted for. Mel and Sam belittled due to their handling of the press conference. And I just really hate that they fail this. If they were trained in it, then fine. But we've not seen any of that. Mm -hmm. Mervyn threw them under a bus too. And he didn't say anything. You know, when they were getting that grilling, he didn't say anything. No, he didn't. He 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 could have fallen on his sword, couldn't he? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if, like, yeah, he should have. But then also in the situation they are in, that probably wouldn't have, Bob wouldn't have been like, oh, well done for stepping up and defending your team. True. He would have just been like, oh, you're you're an idiot as well. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. What got me about the press conference is that they, all they wanted to know was her prior movements. And I know, so Bob says, oh, I said you have to work with the press. That was never made clear in that he might have said, I want you to work with the press, but he never made it clear in that, oh, you need to give them for them to give to you. But all they need to print in the papers is, look, this woman's whereabouts, we need it from this time to this time. Can anybody help? Because she was brutally murdered. That's fine. The fact that he's like, oh, we know it's not a sex attack. So you could have told him that. It just winds me up that they get criticised for their handling of it when actually they didn't set a foot wrong. They just didn't give enough information on some of the parts, but they they weren't to know that. They did what they, they, they... did what they could yeah and he's it's, it's one of those that you always think that he's always going to find something bad well he has to find something in everyone because otherwise there'll be no one up for the vote so there's always going to be some failing yeah definitely. at some point anyway sam and mel failed their lines of inquiry and also up for elimination 
The group cast their vote. When Sam votes for Andrew, she also says that she's not happy with the decision and tells Bob about Mervyn's words before they went into the press conference. And I'm really glad she did that. Mm-hmm. We did um, ask our lead investigator for advice and guidance, and we followed that advice and guidance, and hence the fail. Just for the record. Anyway, based on the group vote, Andrew's playing the killer's game. The right choice, without a doubt, the right person to go this week. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mervyn then makes his choice on the second person. Realistically, this ought to be one of the men, Mm -hmm. as he caused the Sam and Mel car crash, and we know Meryl is the best investigator. Yeah. Instead, he votes for Sam because she should have prepared better. And this fucking... I was raging, mate. so annoying. I was raging. You see the divide then, can't you? Because he was the one that told her. She's gone to Chief Bob and even said, look, Mervyn was the one that told us not to say anything. And then he goes and calls her out for not doing well enough on that press conference. That's harsh, that is. Anyway, he's number one on my hit list now. I really want him to go. Andrew's heading to the deserted railway. Sam is heading to the grain silos. Mel and Sam are both pissed off at the decision made by Mervyn. Rightfully so. And what what was his words? Don't tell them anything about the suspects. Don't say anything about the weapon. Don't tell them anything. Don't tell him anything. And then he goes and sells you on it. I was fuming for her. The next five minutes is spent watching the body cam footage. I was hoping Andrew would meet his fate. They do well to not reveal who is killed until the survivor makes it back to HQ. Annoyingly, it is Andrew that returns. Once again, Andrew defies the killer and returns the hero. But not everyone is happy. We can't get rid of you. We find out next time we'll see Catherine's funeral. We'll find out what the murder weapon is, which I can tell you already that I'm not going to be happy about. And apparently they find a grisly secret in the Wilmington household. And that's the episode. Much better than previous ones. Yeah, a lot a lot better. Definitely getting into a bit more. I, I feel more like I'm excited to watch the next one rather than the dread that I was, you know, after episodes sort of two and three. I wasn't looking forward to watching this one, but watching the next one, I'm actually looking forward to. Yeah. I've got some thoughts and I've also got some predictions. So my first thought is around Andrew and that tape. That has to come back and bite him because why did they leave that footage in otherwise? But then why wasn't it discussed this, this episode? Yeah, okay. Fine, but <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, ju- I just wonder. Maybe it was just to add to the fact that the group are voting for Andrew. You, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing, and this is a bit dark, mate. But I wonder if Trevor and Catherine were getting together because she couldn't make rent, and that is I. It's more of a one night stand type thing, and we don't know what her activities were. We know that we've seen her on video with Dean, and we know that Trevor's the father. We know that she broke into Jay's houseboat. Was that because she often slept in his houseboat with him? We don't know, and we don't know if George and her got it on unless you speak you know listen to mel's words she's fucking him um, <laughs> i just wonder whether or not it'll come back because they made a point of saying trevor's also the owner of the caravan site that she yep. used to live on mm-hmm. so i wonder whether or not she couldn't afford rent maybe there's been an arrangement somewhere down the line yeah and it's pretty dark to think about but i just yeah you know, it would be good i just don't know if that's if the murder games got it in yeah same and and the other thing is we're halfway through now this is it halfway through crazy and we've had one person murdered in the church and that is it yeah like i want more people to die in the in the village and i don't want to give in the town and i don't want to give spoilers away about murder in small town x because you know there are probably people listening to this that really like the murder game and haven't watched murder in small town x so i won't say what the sort of premise was or anything like that but 
I'm seeing none of that here. I'm seeing this as just being a one-off murder so far, and there just doesn't seem to be enough anguish amongst town folk. No, it's not a big... It doesn't seem like a big thing at all. No. Does it? No one's bothered that there's a murderer in the village, really. No, no, they really don't. No one's... The fact that even the investigators are being picked off one by one, mm-hmm. and yet there's no hype around it. No, 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 none of the town folk are saying, oh, I can't believe... And that's another thing, like, with the press conference, and it's, it's such a disconnect between playing the killer's game and investigating. Because in the press conference, they're like, what can you tell us about those yeah, other well, three kill, people the, yeah the kill the killers play, you know killed this many people and this is what's happened and you're not going to catch him before you're all dead because otherwise yeah. there's going to be one of you left Okay, so for predictions, next lead investigator. Mel. Definitely. Sam will definitely pick Mel. And I really, really hope that she picks Mervyn, regardless of how he performs and how well he does. Yeah. Because the beauty of the lead investigator, they can pick anyone. You don't have to fail a line of inquiry yeah. to be voted. She can vote for anybody. And I think she probably will vote Mervyn. Next to play the killer's game then, I think it will be Mervyn. But the other that will be voted for by the group, it's likely, I think, to be Andrew or Rory. Andrew, I reckon. Yeah, but I'd love it to be Richard Sharrocks. <laughs> who to win then? Yeah, who, who to, to win? win? Mel. Mel. Yeah, all day. <laughs> There's quite a few that I'm starting to dislike. I like Mel and Meryl. Me- Both yeah, of the women, I wouldn't Me- mind. Meryl, Meryl, she ain't, ain't going to win it. She was the best investigator this week, mate. Yeah, but everyone has a good days. <laughs> I've got who is the killer, not a clue i don't know no and this is it i feel like they need more they need more suspects we don't even know the murder weapon yet no we we need more suspects we don't that are just dodgy or they don't have some weird they like no alibis or some motive well yeah there's a good thing actually about the writing of this is that that frank was actually suspicious and he said he went to get fueled it'd been better (laughs) if we didn't know that yet that he had that alibi because he was seen at the fuel station they should still be waiting for that information because we could be thinking frank's still not got an alibi that's great not the way it's been played the other thing i think is they mentioned next week on the murder game there's a, a grisly secret discovered at the wilmington household i wonder whether or not jay wilmington there's some family connection or i i don't know it, the jay was the one that we chosen or or that we mentioned before as being the most suspicious before we knew all the investigators but nothing's changed my mind around jay not being the killer yeah but the fact that they find something grisly at their house could be trevor the builder who knows because he was in with jennifer and stuff there's really no clue at the moment as to who it could yeah, I don't know if that keeps it exciting or it's just poorly wrote halfway through. Mm. Oh, we always mention murder in small town X. We may as well not break the habit of a lifetime, eh? But we could have said, yeah, it could have easily been them because of X, Y, Z. Oh, it could have easily been them because of X, Y, Z. And there were so many things that we were, yeah, because their business failed or they wouldn't sign off the deeds to this or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got nothing in this, nothing at all. Yeah. Other than, oh, he might have been sleeping with my partner. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't seem there's enough enough motive. Like Goldie, yeah, she might have been sleeping with Jay, but you're not going to kill your sister on your wedding day if she's been sleeping. You know, there's got to be something more sinister to it, and I'm sure there will be. Yeah. There's yeah. got to be. If you're still with us, thanks for listening. Come and tell us what you think. We're at Presents Jam on Twitter. In next week's episode, we dig a grave, find something shady at Jennifer's house, and meet Edward Green, a Blackwater legend.